0: to the Executive Security Podcast, where we talk to CISOs and other leaders in cybersecurity about a career in this industry, specifically how to get into it and how to advance. My name is Gene Fay, the CEO of ThreadX, an API and application security company and the host of the Executive Security Podcast. Today, we are joined by Neil Bahadir, who is head of product in cybersecurity at Wells Fargo. Uh, Neil, welcome to the show. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, we're super excited. It's a lovely Friday morning, and uh, it's always nice to do these as we wrap out the week. They really energize me, and uh, you know, from reading the questions and your background, I'm really excited to have you as a guest. It's great to be here. Awesome, and I guess we'll clarify. These are his own opinions. He works at Wells Fargo, uh, but these are not the opinions of Wells Fargo. These are the, the opinions of Neil. So we'll get that out of the way. So so nobody at Wells Fargo comes after us, right, Neil? I think we're all good risk
1: managers in this field, right? <laughs> exactly. So we have to make sure we're clear. Yeah, awesome.
0: Well, let's jump into a little bit about your career and kind of your journey. I know you've shifted from cybersecurity to business development at one point, and maybe just give a little bit, you know, a little bit of backstory and kind of ha- how you ended up in this crazy field of cybersecurity.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, so I have a software development background uh, from an academic standpoint, and then went into application security um, coming out of school. So, you know, looking at code reviews and pen tests and threat modeling and and just, you know, telling people who have put their life's work into software, how bad their software is, which is, you know, Exhilarating in some ways, but also very stressful for those teams, right? <laughs> right? They're expecting to take a product to market, and you're showing up with a long list of stuff you're for them like, to fix.
0: Whoa. And, yeah. Slow down, there,
1: guys. Yeah, it's not, the, <laughs> not always the friendliest environment, right? There's a there's a healthy debate around every finding. I think, well, not every finding, but but certainly there are ones where you know you put it in a report, and then you expect to defend it, you know, on a readout call. And, and I think it teaches you a little bit about that there is a business that has a day job that is not responding to the findings that you throw over the wall to them. (laughs) Um, and, And so, you know, that sort of led into looking at building out application security programs for companies. So like large banks at the time were the only groups that were really investing in doing software security on purpose, not just in response to pen test results, but also like, Building the practices into the development life cycle and, and teaching people how to write better code and building frameworks and libraries and all these things that are now, of course, table stakes for most institutions. Yeah. But at that time, <laughs> that, that was very novel, right? Yeah. That was a big deal. Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I spent some time in that space, and then right around the time I had started to like you know get into account management type of things and advising clients and, and sort of helping them think through how to build out these initiatives over time. And right around that time. Um, a friend of mine put me in touch with this uh, startup around workflow automation, and saying basically, like, look, we've all known about you know robotic process automation for a very long time, but what would it look like if you put the control of automation in the hands of the people who actually do the work? So not so much the let me show up and ruin your job by scripting everything that you do, but like, could, what would you take out of your work? If you had the opportunity to go and, and pick and choose what you could and should automate versus what you would want to do with good human taste and human judgment. And there's something interesting about that, like shift. So I, I went from, you know, largely saying no to people all the time in a in a cybersecurity field into this space where you kind of have to say yes and you have to say yes enthusiastically and you have to get people to think differently about their work and all that. So there were like 10 people there at the time was zero dollars in revenue, and we sort of grew it to more than that over a period of time. But being on that go-to-market side and being you know, in the throes of it and trying to get a deal done and then having someone show up with pen test results at the 11th hour, I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> this is what it must feel like from the other side. So there's there's something about like being able to really empathize with that from the other side and what it's like to really build a platform and put it out there and want people to use it And having, you know, addressing pen test findings being like the last thing on your list of things that you really want to get done between now and the end of your company's survival, right, as you're trying to get into market. So there's something like very exciting about sort of that arc and and that journey. But the flip side of that, if you, you know, all of the people that are... um, it, it budding in the field of cybersecurity, all their ears must be perking up because what I'm talking about essentially is a citizen developer platform. So like what kind of psychopathic cybersecurity person contributes to the idea that you're just going to give technology to random yahoos and have them build whatever they want to build, right? There's something, you know, it's 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 a very crazy paradigm shift. But But I think, you know, this then kind of brings to what I think is interesting about the cyber industry is like, We have to recognize that businesses are going to go do stuff for all types of reasons, and they're going to do things that are wildly risky for kind of good ideas most of the time. But like we as cyber practitioners should get accustomed to responding to those changes and adapting to those changes as Mm -hmm. opposed to. Taking the moral high ground and basically yeah. alienating the entire business and being yeah, like, how why could would you, you want to do business on the internet? What are yeah, you, why? crazy? Right,
0: yeah. Why would you take that risk?
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. So, so that's kind of a long-winded way to say, like, I, I think that that colored my view of you know previously kind of taking the moral high ground road. This is the right way to do it. How could you not patch something to really being able to say, like, well, if I am a, a cybersecurity practitioner and I can't meet my business where they are, why would I ever expect that they would listen to me? Take my advice. Work with me. Partner with me, and, and so on. So, for whatever reason, yeah, I,
0: I think you make a great point, Neil. Just about the empathy side of it, right? When you when you look at application security as a part of the business, you're ultimately, uh, I think it was um, the CISO at Lowe's, and I'm just a Mark. Uh, I'm just blanking on Mark's last name, but uh, he, he said it perfectly. He said, "Our job as cybersecurity practitioners is risk management." but it's also just making people aware of risk. Like, hey, at a certain point, you're going to tell a team like, hey, we can do this. Yeah, and I just want everybody to be aware of the risk. Like there is a glaring hole, which if we're all okay with it, and as long as we all acknowledge it because of the pace at which we want to do that, or we're going to fix that later, as long as everybody understands the risk, then you are on the same page, right? And to your point, sometimes it's easy when we're on the app security side of teams know just say look as you said like what are you crazy like we can't do that but then you know getting be empathetic i think is a a critical skill i think for anybody in cybersecurity to work with the business and not be the the department of no or the department of slow down or the department of the thou shall never do
1: that type of thing so i think you you make a great great point on that stuff so and so like totally dismantling the argument that I just made and speaking from the other side, now having returned to cybersecurity, I can say, yes, but if you're going to lay the blame at the feet of cyber and start pressing charges against cyber leaders and start putting them in jail, now yeah. the contract's broken on the other side, yeah. right? So like, yeah. that's where I'm like, yeah, I want to empathize with you, but that doesn't mean that you get free reign to make us the fall guy in every situation. Then. All of the people that are clamoring to enter this industry are going to start to scratch their head and be like, "Do I really want to go to jail at work? Like, is that really where where I want to be?" Yeah, like, right. that's that's the flip side of that argument is like it's a contract, but it's got to be equitable on both sides, otherwise, yeah. it kind of stops making sense, right?
0: No, I think it's great great point. So let's get to kind of your day job and what you can share about you know your title. I thought was interesting, head of product in cybersecurity. So what is head and product in cybersecurity at Wells Fargo? What do you, what do you do and bring to the business day in and day out?
1: Yep. So uh, probably about a decade ago, I think a lot of large institutions went through product and agile transformations, right? They were saying, look, the way that we're working, it's very antiquated. It's, it's very activity oriented. We're not really thinking about outcomes. It's a very waterfall. We set a bunch of stuff up at the beginning of the year, the entire world changes, and then we're sort of scrambling to keep up with that, right? And, and so I think That story has been going through banks for a very long time and other large enterprises, and so bringing that discipline to the customer-facing parts of the business is like a no-brainer, right? Hey, we have teams, that are out there driving revenue, you wanna listen to the customer, you wanna bring that stuff in. Bringing that kind of mindset and mentality into internal technology departments is a totally different animal. It's like, hey, I have a platform, the vendor told me it was really cool, so I'm gonna build a technology roadmap of all the cool things that I'm gonna build with this platform, and you're gonna write me a check in the form of budget for me to go and solve that problem, right, that's at least on the IT side. On the cyber side, it's even more, right, it's like, hey, I have a bunch of stuff that I need to do because attackers are out there constantly lurking, so give me the money, all the money in the world so that I can go and solve all of these problems, right, and I think businesses are kind of falling out of love with this idea that ROI and, and data driven decision making that drives all revenue generating decisions doesn't really apply when you start looking at internal technology and you start looking at like cyber risk, right? And I think that discipline is absolutely growing. So I'm not gonna say that most companies aren't doing it at all, but I think that the skill set that it takes to drive a project plan from start to finish over the course of the year. And the skill set it takes to constantly be asking, are we working on the right things? Are we doing them in the right order? Like, it's a different temperament, right? It's a different way of thinking about solving the problem. So when I think about my role, it's largely guiding the organization to being ready to start to think in that way, work in that way, and ultimately make good choices, right? Show that they have good taste when it comes to cybersecurity and that we believe in the bets that we're making for reasons and not retreating to the... Fear tactics that have funded cyber organizations for the last two decades, right? If you don't pay me a massive amount of money, then we will get briefs. It's like, it's kind of like a ransomware story, right? Right. In reverse, right? It's like, (laughs) that's probably not the right way to win the hearts and minds of the business around you. So that's, I think, about the the role. Does that make sense? Yeah,
0: absolutely. No, super helpful. And I think that that is a nice evolution that it's taken a long time for large organizations to get that, but, but aligning. Uh, Having been in cyber for 17 years, I I described my first four or five years as really insurance salesperson because we would go and um, basically a company would fail a PCI audit or fail any any sort of an audit that required any sort of log aggregation. And then we would sell them a SIM, so security information event management tool. And But if they didn't fail the audit, they were like, no, nah, we don't need one. We don't need one until we fail the audit. So that sort of thing. So it's an interesting dilemma to where we have went very fear-based and now it is more business-centric. You know, how can we help? You know, you look at uh, companies, uh, I'll give a plug for a company like Sneak. Like Sneak's value prop is basically helping coders to code faster with less, co- uh, with less bugs, right? And so, I mean, those types of things, though, so it's not a you don't have it, you're gonna write buggy code. It's just like, hey, we're trying to accelerate the pace at which you are writing clean code. So I think it is an interesting evolution.
1: Yeah, and so I think like that mindset shift for cyber operators is not always the easiest thing, right? Because we're accustomed to sort of being the subject matter expert, we're accustomed to being right, we're accustomed to like, there are so many initiatives that I have seen over the last decade or two where like, if I really think about the business case behind them and what has launched them into you know existence is like some variation of like, trust me, bro, from like a senior executive, right? That's just like, this is gonna totally work. It's like, but is there math behind that, right? Because you can't really launch a product in the market without some level of diligence around your total addressable market and like all these other things. So I think there are elements of the product discipline that are valuable and apply. Now, do I think everything in a playbook is gonna be relevant for cybersecurity? Obviously not, right? So I think, I think it's about picking and choosing the things that really resonate with cyber. But my take on that is like, ruthless prioritization is definitely a thing that that is important for cyber. It's an unlimited pool of work to solve yeah. the security problem. Yeah. But I've never worked anywhere where you get an unlimited cybersecurity yeah. budget. Close, but... Not unlimited, right. Right? right? And so you have to sort of make trade-offs and, and and talk about what trade-offs you're making. And it's not just like, oh well, Jim Bob was really loud when we were having the funding conversation, so that's why we put all the money there, right? Like That's not the right way to solve these kinds of problems. So you have to get good at, can we prioritize well? And then, you know, we're never gonna guess what an attacker is gonna do a year in advance, right? That's a very, that's a very silly, so if attackers aren't doing annual planning, why do we think that us doing annual planning is gonna somehow meet the market where it is, right? And then the last piece is like, you know, a lot of people talk about, well, who are the customers or whatever. Attackers are customers. We're just delivering a very miserable user experience to them, ideally, right? If we do our jobs well, we're making their life horrible. But we do need to understand who they are and what they want and how they're trying to get that experience from us so that we can deliver basically everything but what they're seeking from our organization, right? So I think those skills are translatable and you want people in there, but you know, I'd be lying if I said it was an easy to hire space as I'm building product leadership into the cybersecurity ranks. It's like it's tough. You need people that understand cyber, that understand business, that understand right these these outcomes. And, you know, you know, from kind of running this podcast and pulling a lot of people like a magnet into this market. It's not the most, you know, talent deep pool, right? In in terms of just cyber overall. So as you get into these niches, it's always complicated and challenging. Even harder. And, and you yeah, have pandemics and all these other things that totally flip <laughs> around the way that hiring works. And, you know, it's a, yeah. it's a fun time.
0: It is quite crazy. So uh, I think we hit on some of this, but I'll just ask the question, make sure we didn't miss anything. You, you talked about you know, how leaving and returning from a different field impacted your perspective on cybersecurity. I know we talked about empathy, but are there other things
1: that you think you learned from that um, experience? Yeah, I mean, I, I think being really disciplined about what you say no to on the quest of carving out your product identity is one of the things that I think really applies in cyber. Not only when you're delivering services, but even when you're building technology in the cyberspace. So After I left that startup, I went to another you know offensive security company that was trying to take a product to market. And they were very successful with it, but a lot of it stemmed from having really strong conviction about what problems they were and we're not going to solve but like, mm-hmm. we are going to be great at this and only this and we're not mm-hmm. going to be able to do every good idea there's a limitless pile of good ideas in cyber that you can pursue at any given time so having the conviction to go yes we could but here's why we think that now's not the right time for us to go and bet on that like that and if i if i were to think about like the next Decade. I think I'm sure we're going to get into trends and, and stuff like that. But if I were to think about like what's around the corner, getting much better at doing fewer things is not only an overarching business trend I expect to see, but I think it will also apply to cyber. Like getting remarkably good at identity is going to be more important than dealing with millions of patch holes that you have right. across of you, you know your organization, right? So like that's the kind of stuff where I think having the muscle memory to understand, like, this is who we are going to be. And now let's decide what's going to make it or not make it through that filter. To me, that's what product skill is about.
0: Yeah, no, I I think you just hit on a great point, Neil. I I know as the CEO of ThreadX, it's probably the most difficult decision to say no to something, even when it's a great idea. Uh, Because as entrepreneurs and doing this, my sixth startup, you love new, you love innovation, you and I think that the thing that I've gotten better at over the years is the, the saying no. But I, I would highly encourage any uh, CEOs or uh, VPs of products or VPs of engineering, you, you hit on probably the, the reason that most cybersecurity companies will fail or succeed. And there's 4,000 of us out there. And it's based on that premise. And it's more powerful to be saying no to stuff than to try to say yes to too many things. I think that's really.
1: And it's so easy, like, listen, it's easy for us to sit here and talk about saying no. You know, when one of your early customers shows up with a seven-figure check and goes, build me this thing because I need it, Gene. Give it to me, I really need it, for you to be like, listen, I hear you, but also no, (laughs) right? Like, that's really tough, right? Yeah, I think an
0: interesting no situation that happened to us a couple of companies ago is we had an opportunity to try to win a deal with Citibank, and uh, we lost the deal. And I always, I don't know if I have rationalized it this way, but I, I do believe in my heart of hearts that it it was a blessing in disguise, because what they wanted us to build, there were maybe only other five banks in the world that were ever going to use it that way. And we were able to build a product that you know American Express and American Airlines and Visa and some significantly smaller companies were able to leverage and we ended up having a really nice outcome. And and this Citibank deal, had we won it, they wanted to build something for, I think it was 5,000 cybersecurity people. And there are literally so few companies, more now today than there were then. But I think that's an interesting, interesting perspective. And I think that that's something that uh, should really resonate. So you talk about doing more with less as a cybersecurity trend and being really good at helping companies be really good, something I think I am or Identity Access Management is kind of an interesting one because if it were perfect, you wouldn't have to worry about a lot of the stuff on the back end because you could simply catch everybody at the front door. But what are the other things that you think about in terms of trends? And if, if people that are new to the industry could start to brush up on, that might help them to have a leg up in, in entering our... Our industry.
1: Yeah. I mean, so I, and I would even articulate it the other way around, which is like, it's almost like you want to do less with more, right? I want right. to do fewer things with more spirit behind it. So I, so I would say the thing that never goes out of fashion year after year, decade after decade is if you understand the underlying technology, you will be adept at securing it every time. So chasing the tool or the how do I do the process that today's market asks of me when I'm running a pen test will never make you as good at testing as understanding how the system is actually put together, because that will give you all the information you need to know about how to really dismantle it and where the soft spots truly are. So like, to me, if you look at where the technology is going, so you you have cloud-based That whole market of things you have, you know, your decentralized market of things and your distributed computing space, like even you know whatever happened with the web, like that, like understanding those protocols well enough to understand what information is exchanged, how does it move from point A to point B, what do those channels look like, what are the controls that are in place or not in place, right? Like understanding that kind of stuff exceptionally well. And in that regard, I would say the advice I think to have to people that are entering the space now is like pick one right pick one and get remarkable at it because i will say that the market definitely rewards depth right and, and, and even like the the funny part about this is like even if the thing that you pick in 2023 is the mainframe you will have work like that's yeah. the crazy part so like yeah. nothing that you pick listen everybody and th- this is why i love these like what's around the corner is like <laughs> I'm i'm positive like everybody that gets on any platform will say something like generative ai is gonna like whatever the thing is that makes its way through the linkedin rounds becomes the thing that everybody flocks towards in a era where everybody chases the shiny thing if you pick one unsexy problem and solve it well there will be a never-ending supply of work and probably high dollar work for the foreseeable future like there is no substitute for being great at something that is valuable
0: yeah, I think I think of the 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 surgeon analogy. If you are an expert on repairing left pinkies, and that's your specialty, you know, and you can charge a, a massive premium because you know everything there is to know about it, and you say no to every other part of surgery, right? It's like you know, it's that that specification of the specialization uh, is rewarded in our in, in in just about every industry.
1: Yeah, and if I were to think about like the breadth and depth equation, it's like being broad in cyber domains and deep in technology domains is the perfect harmony. So if you understand policy and process and governance and applying of tools and triaging of finding, like if you understand the mechanics of all of the different domains across cybersecurity and you can apply it to a very narrow slice of technology, fintech, you know, consumer applications, some, something that's in the cloud, a distributed application, a mobile cons- like that's where the money is for anybody that's out there because that puts you on a track to basically be a trusted advisor and a trusted partner to the revenue-generating part of the business. And you'll also be well-rewarded and, and regarded by the cyber organization. But generally, if you have to pick in a tie between the two, having friends in the money-making portion of the industry, not the worst thing for you,
0: right? Yeah. Well, awesome, Neil. Uh, for our listeners, uh, this might be a podcast you want to listen to a second time because it's some in-depth thoughts uh, that Neil shared, and it might take our listeners that are new to working for larger corporations a little bit of time to comprehend it, but there were some great gold nuggets in there, so... So, Neil, thank you so much for uh, being a guest. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me. Thank you. As a reminder to our listeners looking to up their cybersecurity skills, you can get one-year free content from our cybersecurity training portal, ThreatX Academy, by using the promo code PODCAST. ThreatX Academy covers a wide variety of cybersecurity topics. You can learn more by visiting academy.threadx.com. Also, check out a recent popular episode with M.K. Palmore who is a director in the office of the CISO at Google and a VP at Diversity? Uh, he's a very inspirational person. And uh, I know uh, if you haven't ca- caught that episode, please check it out. And finally, if you'd like to learn more about API and application security, please visit our website at threadx.com. Neil, thank you again. Uh, Just, uh, I think you're an inspiration and you've got a lot of real great knowledge that you've just shared on our podcast. So thank you so much for being a guest. Thanks for having me. Take care.